Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Matt D. Fothery, Lee Boyd, and Rob Beller. Hey, podcast world. Welcome to another exciting, enthralling, educational, etc. episode of FNO InsureTech. I am Rob Beller coming to you from smoky, hot California. And with me, somewhere in the middle of the country, is... Lee Boyd, right here in Waco, Texas, on a beautiful, crisp, hot summer Texas morning. Yeah? Is it humid? Oh, yeah, it's always humid. But actually, it feels better today. It's only going to be 99 today. A little drier today? A little bit drier, which allows a little crisp in the air. So it's. Uh, I went for my morning walk, and it was very nice. You know, we were talking before we started today about getting your MBA, about getting an NBA. Right. right? Yeah. Not NBA, not NBA, not getting a National Basketball Association, yeah. but rather getting an MBA. MBA. Um, a master of business administration. Yeah, the uh, more fun one. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And mm-hmm. we're talking about the top schools. And full disclosure, I have an MBA. Right. Did you know that? I knew that. I'm I, not sure if our audience did. Our, our audience needs to know I have an MBA from Arizona State University. Mm-hmm. One of the top business schools in the country, undoubtedly. Is that in the top top 100 or top 1000? <laughs> I believe it's in the top 5000. Yeah. There you go. That's uh-huh. great. Wonderful. Uh-huh. It's like our podcast. Right. <laughs> yes. That's exactly correct. I'm yeah. uh, that's always my goal. I'm aiming to be in the top 5000. Like our company. I think we're top 5000 independent adjusting company. Wouldn't you yeah, agree? Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think there's no doubt we're in the top unquestionable. 5, we're in the top 5000. 100%. 100%. But we have somebody with us today, speaking of which, mm-hmm. that could be argued that went to, got her MBA from like number one. Right. I mean, Harvard MBA, which we were wondering, what is the acceptance rate? And I'm looking at online, I think it's from an article from 2020 April showing that Harvard has an acceptance rate of 11.5%. Uh, wow. It's hard to get into Harvard. It's hard to get into Harvard, and I think that it's one measure of somebody's capacity or capability, Yeah, and you can take it for what it is and think of it what you want, but Caitlin Johnson, a principal at American Family Ventures, is with us today, and she is also, among other things, a Harvard MBA. Right. And this is her second time to be on. The first time she came on uh, to talk about the the next normal or new normal. And and we had a great conversation and it was so good. I said that we had to get her on uh, for a full episode. And she was uh, so gracious to squeeze us in between a very important date uh, that, that we actually got a visit with her today. Yeah. I dare say that this is the first time we've had a guest on who's 39 weeks pregnant right and still willing uh, a week from due date to sit down and visit with us 
about investments and insurance. Right. I mean, when she told us that, we're like, wow, d- you know, no pressure. Do you want to wait? She's like, no, I want to get this done. Let's do yeah. it. Yeah, let's do it. I'm like, you don't have anything better to do than, I mean, right now than to talk to us? She's like, no, it's fine. Let's go. Right. It shows you how competent she is, is that she can uh, juggle all the balls of an expectant mom at 39 weeks and do a podcast too. So, um, and the thing about the podcast that you're going to love is Caitlin's very well-spoken, very bright, and really shares with us an inside view of being in her world and the kind of, and how they go about it and the kind of fun they have and excitement that they have with being a corporate venture capital company. And that's really something to get with our interview today is, is she, she's very open with her feelings and the way that she looks at things. And then now she really gets down to the educational part about what they're looking for. It's a great interview, and I can't wait for everybody to hear it. Exactly. So without further ado, let's go to our interview with Caitlin Johnson because we're running out of time. The woman is 39 weeks pregnant. Got to hurry. Got to hurry. So here is our interview with Caitlin Johnson, principal at American Family Ventures. Hey, everybody. We are here with a very, very special guest who, as we said uh, during the introduction, is um, 39 <laughs> weeks pregnant. I mean, there's no other way to say that, is there? Lee? No, I think that's one week shy of due date. That's right. And so just to show you the dedication of the guests that we get at FNO InsureTech, Caitlin Johnson, who is a principal at AmFam Ventures, American Family Ventures, is with us today. Thank you so much for yeah, taking the time to do this. How are you doing? You guys for having me. This is wonderful to be back. Oh, that's right. That's right. Return visit. Yeah. That's right. Tell our, tell our audience what you did here the first time. Well, the first time I was on, we talked about kind of the new normal, like where are we going after COVID and how has COVID changed the landscape of investing as well as accelerated the adoption of technology at carriers and across the insure tech field. That's, yeah, that's cool. And and we all know that there's no question that there's been an impact and that impact is still unfolding. And before we talk about that, maybe a little bit today, why don't we start by having you tell us about AmFam Ventures and what the company is and, and what you do there? Absolutely. So we're talking at a very interesting time in our funds evolution. We're really excited because yesterday we just announced that we've raised Fund 3, which is incredibly exciting for us. It's a $213 million vehicle, all to be deployed in early stage venture markets that are focused on the future of insurance. And for us, this represents kind of a real meaningful evolution of our fund. So back in 2012, when we were on fund one and just getting started out, um, we were a corporate venture fund backed solely by American Family Insurance. And um, we were a $50 million fund. So we've 4X'd the size of the fund, as well as we've taken on um, external LPs. So we had both American Family Insurance, as well as a cadre of other carriers, financial institutions, as well as corporations that have a vested interest in the future of insurance back us for this third fund. And we could not be more excited. 
So why take on partners just so that it could be larger? Well, yes and no. I'm pretty sure American Family Insurance would have loved to have done the whole thing. But in what we do, I think it's incredibly important to bring together an ecosystem of folks. So for the entrepreneurs, the more carriers and the more value that we can provide to them through introductions, the more attractive of a capital pool we are. And then on our end, we're able to drive alpha for a bunch of carriers who have this interest in kind of understanding and keeping a pulse on the state of affairs within the insurance ecosystem. So it just helps strengthen the community that we've spent so much time building through our own personal networks, as well as through investing. It made a ton of sense to to expand the size of the pie as well as the number of folks that we could collaborate with. But isn't that helping your competition? It could be viewed like that, although I think AmFam has always had just a very smart and different outlook on that. So we are very careful. I think our compliance officer would want me to have the compliance disclosure that there is no meeting of the minds behind the scenes and we stay everything above board and don't violate insurance rules. In general, I think AmFam has always been very forward-looking and has understood the more red tape you apply and the more of the hands that you tie of the venture capitalists, it makes it really hard to deliver alpha and drive attractive returns. So they have just been a tremendous partner from day one, even in the first fund structure, not having it go down those roads that typically lead to a painful and why, quite frankly, there's that stigma in the market that corporate funds are are terrible to work with. And AmFam's always just been so smart and provided the freedoms to help avoid any of those stigmas or things that attribute or contribute to the stigmas to be avoided for our fund, which has been wonderful. So with the addition of this third fund, what do you plan to yeah. do? Is it just more of the same or is it mm-hmm. get into different verticals within the insurance space? What do you want to do with that? It's going to really be more of the same. So we are staying very focused on investing in the future of insurance. And to us, that has always been about delivering obvious as well as non-obvious. And for us, obvious is you know innovation in obvious categories like MGAs, carriers, you know, brokerage or reinsurance models, things that you say that is very plainly insurance. And then non-obvious are actually two spaces we call them adjacent and enabling that really either contribute to the data, the distribution of insurance policies or impact carriers in some way, or materially change a market that an insurer cares about. So those can take all sorts of different shapes and forms. And it's what allows us to not necessarily just stay 100% tied to insurance, but be able to look at ways in which other industries impact insurance and invest in those vehicles to help accelerate in those very specific areas. We do stay very true to that. There are guardrails and we police it constantly to make sure that we are staying on track and, and not drifting to become a generalist fund. I would imagine that would be really hard, right? Because there's, you know, concentric circles and some of them are probably really, really close to the others. And I'm sure that sometimes you guys convene a meeting and get everybody in a room and say, are we inside or outside? 
More than you know, we've had many a long discussion about the strategic relevance and tying it back to our insurance framework. Well, and I think that'd be hard. I was looking at some of the companies y'all have invested in, and many times you've invested, I would think, before they actually were involved in the insurance space. And we were talking off camera about WISE, right? It's this, this great technology but I never really think about it as insurance. However, I'm sitting with you and I see all the wonderful capabilities that it could have with an insurance. I, I would assume that happens a lot where you're finding these technologies and you say it could very much go to what we want to invest in. Absolutely. I mean, we were talking about Hover earlier too. And yeah. prior to our investment, you know, they actually hadn't been in the insurance market. It's both understanding insurance and where insurance is heading and then finding the applications that could drive real change in these markets. So with that, whenever you see that, let's let's take Hover, for example, you see that technology, they're looking to raise funds. You say, yeah, they might not know the capabilities. Is that something you would go to the founder and say, hey, you're not looking at this yet, but I really want to invest in you if you will go down you know, to the insurance vertical. Is, is that a conversation you have with them? So yes and no. So we never tell them you have to go down the insurance vertical and that our dollars are, you know, contingent upon you actualizing on some goal or achieving some milestone within insurance. But we do approach them and say, hey, there's a real sizable market here for you to apply your technology in a meaningful way that'll drive innovation forward for insurers. And oh, by the way, we've diligenced this concept that we've had with our LPs to make sure we're not just telling ourselves an interesting story here. And we think that that could be meaningful for you. So take that for what it's worth, but we're incredibly excited and would love to partner with you and be a thought partner as you potentially go down that path. Well, in that case, just to jump into a couple of these specific companies that you guys are invested in now, how does yeah. Neat Capital fit into the guardrails that you called them? Well, I'm really excited you asked about Neat. It is uh, one of our newer investments, and it has the potential to make some real waves in the mortgage arena. So Neat Capital is a mortgage originator. And so what that means is that they'll underwrite mortgage loans, and then they'll sell them on the secondary market to investors. What they've done that is particularly unique is build a fully automated underwriting platform. And that is incorporates all of the edge cases out there. So we really did a deep dive into mortgage because mortgage is so heavily tied to folks getting quoted for home insurance policies. Because think about it, when you sure. close on a new house, sure. you need to get an insurance policy. Exactly. And so it's a tremendous, or it could be a tremendous distribution opportunity. And so what Neat Capital has done is they've built this engine. Luke Johnson, who's the CEO over there, had a deep background in insurance. And he used that and leveraged that with his team to build some technology to really make it quite effortless and painless for folks to understand not only if they're pre-qualified, because Functionally, everybody can do that in the snap of a finger today, but spend, you know, 45 to 60 minutes on their platform, filling out their information and you can get approved for a mortgage on the spot. And what's kind of cool about that is 
they will guarantee you that mortgage. And so you're able to waive any financing contingency in an offer that you're putting on the table, which allows you to compete with all of the folks paying with cash out there. So in the truly competitive markets like San Francisco, Boston, Washington, D.C., it allows you to put a much more compelling offer forward. Mm -hmm. And you told us that you just recently led the investment in Wise. Now, I know that Lee's a big fan of Wise. Big fan. I'm going to ask you, Lee, why are you such a big fan of Wise? I like it because it's just so easy. They make it all so simple. Their products are slick. You compare them to some of the other products out there, and it's just, it's just simple. Give us an example of some of the Wise products you have. So here's an example. My son just got a video camera, a Wise video camera from my my father and my son who is 12 was able to get it completely up and running in his room uh, to see if his sister walks in while he's gone. And he was able to do it all by himself. I mean, it's, it's really very, very simple to, to use. And plus you can share devices. So we have one device here at our office that looks out at bird feeders and there's three of us who can watch it. And then I can watch it on my Amazon uh, Alexa show. I can see it. It just works with everything. It's just a very yeah. smooth and slick product. And it's and it's a, a very good video, but it's their outdoor camera that I'm most excited about. And that's a wireless camera that is weatherproof that's going to go out. I have not bought one. I think they're on their second round of selling. Their mm-hmm. first round kind of sold out. But anyway, big fan, big fan. We've had many IoT companies on the show. So we understand yeah. the connection to insurance, but so this is another example, maybe. So how do you get from Lee, who yeah. who likes their products to goof around with, to something that yeah. you guys want to invest in? Well, Lee, I also started as a wise consumer about two and a half years ago, became obsessed with them, which mm-hmm. led me to tracking them and ultimately investing. But back to your question, Rob. So what I think is really compelling about this IoT category is that it does two things. It one provides an interesting distribution opportunity for insurers. And the ROI is kind of still out there as to whether or not the people who are more inclined to to buy the WISE products, do they represent better risk because they are going to greater lengths to protect their homes or take care of them in some fashion? Mm-hmm. Um, so that is certainly potential a potential underwriting benefit to getting access to this type of a population. And then the other piece is getting real data on the state of affairs at a house. So while WISE is very careful not to, you know, trip over, you know, specific lines, they will work in partnership with insurers to launch potentially, you know, we get nervous about saying rebating in insurance, but, you know, a reduced premium if you have these devices and you have them online because it allows you to be more diligent and become more aware when issues do crop up. And so that is very on trend in insurance right now. Me and Rob, maybe a month ago, we were talking about self-service devices like this. My dad originally told me years mm-hmm. ago about a company called Canary. He was an agent and the company that he wrote for would give you a discount. And it was this little device. Maybe it's out there. Maybe it's not. Uh, It was a motion detection. And basically it sent you a notice and you self-monitored. And Mm -hmm. the argument was, well, who really cares more about your house than, than you? 
And I've gotten right. into that self-monitoring myself. And I have uh, kangaroos, I have ways, I have nest, mm-hmm. I have all sorts of different ones. And I mean, yep. I love it because I can watch anything I need to. The beauty of ways in the insurance world is you know, I don't really care about it so much whenever I am home, but whenever I'm away, I can see what's going on. You know, I can see if my dogs are tearing up something, but it's just like that. I can have it on my back porch and I can see if an intruder is trying to come in. My favorite part about Waze, I just have to go about saying this. They have been promising motion detection or people tracking or or one of those things. They've been promising it, but they, they basically came out and said, you know, we, we kind of, underestimated the cost and and all this, but we want to honor what we said. Now, if you're willing to pay for it, we also would like that. And and we want you to kind of think about what you think it's worth, but it was just almost the, the ethics of the company coming out and saying, you know, we think you need to buy it. We're going to honor what we said. And it just makes you, you just feel like you're in the same boat with them and that they're out to help you. And and they're coming out with really cool new products. So it's very exciting. I think it has a big place in the insurance world. They are a very consumer conscientious company. We even spoke exactly about that, Lee, what you just touched on at the board level. That's how serious we are about the lies. And I just think they're tremendous. They're a wholesome company. They're, you know, one of their slogans is too good to be true. They want it to be affordable, yet have all the bells and whistles and not have you sacrifice on quality. So, and they've really lived up to that consumer promise across all of their products. And it's something that they strive to build into every single thing they release into the market. Well, and we good. just want to be clear that Wise paid us no promotional fee today. <laughs> they, they did not. Okay, they did but, not, but they love that we're talking about them. Hey, one they, more thing about their camera. They better show up on this podcast. That's all I have to say. <laughs> they, I would love to have them on the podcast. For anybody looking for a really good camera out there, that they have this new one that came out. I gave it to my dad for Christmas. You can buy it at the Home Depot. Yeah. But it is a, it's like this 360 camera that moves around. So most of these cheaper, you know, low, I, I wouldn't say low, but mo- most of these smaller cameras you just put up, they're just stagnant. And most of the ones I have are just stagnant. But this one you could put on your countertop. And if I, I'm here and I want to see what's in the whole room, you can move it around and great quality. Mm. So anyway, that's, I do enjoy them. I do enjoy them. And I think that, as I said, they're going to get, more and more fascinating technologies and they work with Amazon Alexa's so I can mm-hmm. all of a sudden, Oh, I just turned mine on. Uh, and so all of a sudden you can, you know, really get the whole ecosystem of your IOT devices connected. So take us through the process real quickly. So you're a huge fan for a long time of the company. The insurance applications are obvious. Yeah. Do you go to your group and say, Hey everybody, I want you to hear me out here. What happens inside of the ivory tower to make something like this? How do you go from idea to the investment? Totally. So this one is actually really interesting because one of our most successful exits was in a company called Ring, which is in the IoT space and was acquired by Amazon. And so we were kind of patting ourselves on the back saying, all right, we did well there. We're probably done in IoT. And along comes WISE. And I think what's really compelling about them is how capital efficient they are, that they're really helping unlock. So this statistic shocked me, the fact that of all of the households in the United States, 
there's only 20% penetration of smart home devices. So that includes Alexas, that includes that's, that's the whole entire category. Wow. And what is most commonly cited as the reason why there isn't deeper penetration are really two factors. The first is price. And so functionally affordability, can you buy multiples of these devices to outfit your entire home? Mm-hmm. And then two, interconnectivity. So Lee, you were touching on the fact that you have multiple different OEMs and devices to cover different aspects of your home. And right. WISE is aiming to solve that. So they're going to very soon have a, an entire swath of products and they're well on their way to being able to have a whole ecosystem that's powered by WISE. And so it's functionally one-stop shopping. Think of them as the Apple of the IoT world. That's what they're trying to do. And similar to Apple, have an incredible user experience associated with it. Rob, back to your question. How how do we get from Caitlin and her husband being obsessed with Wise products to all of a sudden American Family Ventures is investing in Wise? And really what happened was we got to know Yoon, who's the CEO over at Wise, and we're just blown away by his vision for the company and how he'd been able to scale. So we started to entertain, hey, would you know, are you guys interested in taking some money? What does that look like? Once I heard, yes, we are interested in a process. That's really the signal and the green light for me to start spending some real time on the company. So, you know, looking through their financials, parsing together a diligence package that I can put in front and a a really compelling story that I can put in front of my team and American family and say, this is why this is a wise bet, no pun intended, or maybe pun intended. (laughs) And how can we make this work? And so what, you know, made this story come together really for us was the fact that we saw firsthand because we were series a investors at ring and rode that rocket ship and wise's growth path is identical to rings they've done it with 86 percent less capital than ring did and they've just hit these tremendous milestones yeah so it became kind of a no-brainer for us to say this market is still largely untapped these guys are on a tear and Let's roll the dice again. This seems like a great team to back. So that's how we ended up in Wise. Did you lead around with Wise? So we, I would say, co-led with Norwest for their Series A1. Mm-hmm. Is that the goal of every investment for it to go public and for it to cash out? Or is there some other goal whenever you're investing in a company? Yeah, I mean, so as a financially focused fund, For us, the answer is yes. We're looking for either an acquisition or an IPO. An IPO sometimes isn't what's going to make the most sense for a company. Sometimes they can grow, like in the case of Ring, best under another organization that's going to give them the the funds to continue to accelerate and, and really be dynamic in their space. And so I think with all investments, we're hopeful for, you know, that rocket ship type exit. But you guys know venture and especially at the early stage, it ends up being kind of a third, a third, a third, a third die, a third are kind of your middling crowd that eke out maybe, you know, a one to three X. And then you've got a third of your portfolio that will really drive the meaningful returns for your fund. So I I have to ask this question. How does a person become a venture capitalist? What got you into this? Walk me through your learnings that they got you to where you are now. The, The question that you asked is one that I asked at the very start of this journey. And I tried to become a student of all of the venture capitalists in the space to understand their backgrounds, you know, stalked their LinkedIn's, you know, what are the commonalities? 
it's very tough to find a common path into venture. But I have to say, one of the things that I saw was that most, I I would say a fair amount of folks go and get their MBAs, and it's usually from a, a, a top tier school. And then they either come in, they kind of launch their career from their MBA into kind of the lower level ranks of an organization or a venture capital firm and kind of rise up through those ranks. Or they become an entrepreneur, are incredibly successful or or have decent success, and then kind of parachute in at the partner level into funds and, and go from there. But really, you know, those are two common ways, but it is by far and large, not the only ways that you can find yourself in venture. And so you went to the top tier school to get your MBA, which was Harvard, right? I did. And yes. what was that like? I've well, talked to Rob. I don't of, know that we can say that Harvard's top tier. Well, I mean, they're <laughs> up there, right? What, I mean, kind of. What do you base yeah. that on? We'll have to look at the data, but we won't do that right now. So. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll have <laughs> to look. But what was that like? I've talked to Rob a lot about getting my MBA and he highly encourages me to do that. What was it like getting an MBA from Harvard? What was that like? It was so surreal. Half the time it was a pinch me moment. I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe they bestowed this privilege upon me. It was just really fun to challenge yourself intellectually, to be around a peer set that is so highly motivated and so similar to you. I think people who end up at these types of programs are the type A's, they're the the go-getters, the hard-driving type of folks. And it was really nice to be surrounded by a class of peers that kind of all think that way. Um, And, you know, the other thing that I'll say is I went to grad school when I was 26. and, And I feel like you have a better sense of yourself at that point in time, when you're going to college, you, you know, you're really defining who you are. And so you, you make a handful of, of good friends, or at least in my case, I have, I have a couple of college friends I keep in touch with, but my business school classmates, man, because I knew who I was when I went into that experience, we just have these really strong ties and they're going to be forever friends. Yes. I got my yeah. MBA decades ago and I'm still very close with several of my classmates terrific people. That's awesome. And it's a great experience that you share, right? Yeah. That's not easy either, frequently. No. The fun vacations, though, do help inject a little fun and relaxation into it. So, (laughs) Being a VC, Mm -hmm. I mean, I would think that it's really exciting because you get to look at new things all the time and you're always exploring new things and you're always involved in these, wow, maybe this has tremendous possibility. Maybe this is ring the next generation or ring two or whatever. Yeah. So what's great about it and what's hard about it? I mean, there must be a lot of slogging it out too. I mean, right. Or you spend a tremendous amount of time and energy in something and it's nothing. Talk about the, the yin and the yang there. Sure. You're spot on. It, it's such, I see it as such a privilege to do what I do and the type of person I am. I just, you know, I had a corporate job before I went and got my MBA and I could not have been more bored. You know, it's just the humdrum, the mundaneness, the repetitive nature of coming in every day and doing the same thing as an engineer was just wholly unattractive to me. And your point exactly is I, as a venture capitalist, get to be a student of new spaces, get to constantly be diving in, asking why. And then my favorite thing about it is I don't have to execute. So I think that is the most difficult job in the world, being an entrepreneur, having to execute on all these brilliant ideas. I get to parachute in 
pass a little bit of judgment, give them my two cents, and then say, hey, it's your decision. Good luck right? So it's a privileged role. It, it also allows you to constantly be engaged in new problems to solve and intellectual challenges. So that's what I love about it. I also love, I'm a competitive person by nature. You know, I, my background, I grew up playing sports and I just, I'm that type of person that always likes to, to be competing. And with venture, chasing a deal, it's, it's like you're in the hunt of it. You're in the thick of it. It's, it's got adrenaline to it. And I think I'm just an adrenaline junkie. So it's also something that scratches that itch for me. And I'm also a people person and, you know, our business is in largely a sales role. It's selling people on the value you can provide, the value your fund can provide, as well as dealing and interacting with people on a very regular basis. So if you don't like talking to folks almost all day, every day, then maybe it's not the right role for you. The converses of all of that are, you know, someone, my first boss in the industry told me, your portfolio companies are all tiny little ulcers until the day they're not. You are so worried about how they're doing, how they're faring, how you can help them. And it's so true. Venture can give you the highest of highs and it can also bring you to the lowest of lows. If your companies are not performing well, or if they've hit a particular rough patch, many a sleepless nights. And, and that includes, you know, bringing a company up through investment committee. And it's not something I appreciated when I was uh, in my more formative years in venture where I was supporting the person leading the deal. But when you're the one going to the table and you're the one asking your fund to deploy several millions of dollars and your LPs several millions of dollars, you want to be a good steward of, sure. of that capital. And to do that, it takes real thought, real discipline, real diligence. And that comes with a whole set of angst and worry and concern associated with it. So it is a highly thought-provoking industry, but it's also a high-anxiety-provoking industry. And so you have to be okay with those swings, and you have to be able to kind of manage and, and keep those emotions in check. Sure, because I would think that the responsible co-workers that you have would ask you mm -hmm. really hard questions and try to shoot holes yeah. in every assumption that you've made before everybody raises their hand and says, yeah, let's do this. Yep. You're absolutely right. That's the beauty and the value of a partnership is, you know, really going to bat and having people coming equally as hard at you to make sure it's the right move. So what's it mean, principal, your principal? What's that, what does that mean? Yeah. Your title. It means I'm a more senior person in our fund. And so kind of the way we structure is analyst, associate, principal, and then managing director, which is akin to partner. There's so many different terminologies these days for roles in venture capital right. from vice president to partner, but partner sometimes doesn't mean managing director or general partner. It sometimes yeah. means, you know, associate. So it's a very confusing industry where people kind of just get to make up whatever they want. But at our fund, it means I'm a senior investor. <laughs> so we're uh, big fans of your boss or one of your bosses, I guess, Dan Reed. Yeah. And, yeah. and we, we couldn't, you know, get to the end of our interview today without talking for a minute about Dan Reed. Sure. And most people want to talk about Dan Reed, the success story in venture capital, Mr. Ring, et cetera. But I don't want to talk yeah. about that. I want to talk about okay. Dan Reed, the pitcher. Dan Reed, the pitcher. Oh boy. Yeah. So for those who don't know, <laughs> Dan Reed 
He played minor league baseball and pitched for the farmhouse team for the Baltimore Orioles. That's right. That's right. Yeah. He's he's a competitor. Is that fair to say? He is. He is. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting because he doesn't present as that. <laughs> no, he because he's so laid back, but he 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 really you know. If, if you get to know him well, get a few beers in him, you'll, you'll see he's, he's still got that competitive spirit. It's just, he does a good job of masking it. Well, we'll have to get a few beers in him sometime. I like yeah. that idea. What do you say we go to Madison, yeah. Lee? That would be fun. What do you think about that? We, we can take the podcast on the road. But there's one place I have yeah. to go when I'm there. I have to go to the old fashioned. Oh, yeah. The old fashioned downtown. Place. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it is. My place. Anyways, listen, we are so grateful that you gave us time yes. today. I mean, I'm sure you're like, you have a list of things. These are the things I have to get done really fast. Yeah. yeah. Is that true? Yeah. Within a week. Within a week. Yeah. T minus one week. T minus so. one week. T minus one mm-hmm. week. Just so all, right, all of our listeners lighting. know, we've been trying to influence Kaylin into what name she should choose for her, for her son. And, right. uh, Yep. And both Lee and I and our whole production staff here thinks that that little Robbie is the right answer to that. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. We'll have to have you back on to tell us. Yeah. Bring little Robbie to back on the show. All. That's right. Gladly. <laughs> well, listen, we wish you all the luck and yes. and blessings. And uh, thank you so much for being with us. Now, two-timer. You're a two-timer on our show. That's right. And, and I hope I hope to add more to that. Abs- oh, absolutely. Love that. Let's do that. Let's let's have you back to make another big announcement. That sounds great. What a really nice and really smart woman. Uh, great to have her with us. And you know, once again, we learn more and more about this venture capital world and what goes on in it. And what an interesting world. Yes. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting world, and it's something that I am always in, enthralled by. In fact, I went back to a book that I had bought on it uh, right before her her interview, and I, I started reading through it because there's so much I don't know. You know, I think I know. I think that they go and find companies that they think are good and that they want to invest in them. But I really got into uh, what defines a a good company. But even with talking with her, uh, it, it's just so interesting. Uh, the world that she lives in. And and I really enjoyed uh, listening about it. What really gets me going is the people that she surrounds herself with and that this whole company has. Uh, just this top-notch group of individuals who come together for this greater good. It just seems like a, a really neat work environment. Right. I mean, they collect a bunch of really smart people and stick them together in a room and then they bounce ideas off each other. <laughs> to yeah. see, to see what sticks and like the the great thing that Caitlin had happened recently was a a company that she was passionate about anyways she got to bring yeah, to the wise, table yeah wise yeah Very that that's neat i mean wouldn't it be neat to have i actually after that i started thinking about companies that i deal with uh, that are small startups i'm like wouldn't it be neat to be able to say i really believe in this company i'd like to invest in it Mm-hmm. And she was able to bring it forward, uh, knowing that it would be under very close eyes of her of her uh, uh, coworkers. But she was able to to move that forward with the rest of her team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we're real grateful that she gave us the time today, particularly under her current circumstance. Right. And we wish her all the best. Yeah. 
And we thank all of you for listening, as you do, and for being with us. And come back next time. And until then, we'll say to you... Goodbye, everybody.